Welcome, friends, to my lovely, crazy life. I'm your host, Amanda Preston. I'm a mom of eight talking about adoption, foster care, and special needs. Join me each week as we dive into the messy, fill up your cup, and refresh your soul. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, A Day in the Life of FASD. One of the biggest questions that I always get with families who are considering the adoption process is wanting to know what FASD is really like. People have a lot of myths and misconceptions out there about what FASD is really like and how it's going to affect the kids. A lot of people also get really scared. It's one of those diagnoses that people don't know a lot of information about. They don't know what it entails. And because it's a spectrum, no two kids are the same. So it can look really different on a lot of kids. You also need to know whether you're open to it when you click off some of those boxes doing your home study. So you kind of need to know ahead of time whether it's something you want to approach. I've got eight kids and seven of them have some level of FASD somewhere on the spectrum. So I'm going to talk about what it's like in our family having kids with FASD and a little bit about just what it is, how it gets diagnosed, what some of the symptoms are. So you have a little bit of a better understanding of what it's all about. So let's start with what it is, FASD, also known as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Now it's important to know that there's a lot of different names for it out there, particularly depending on where you live. I'm in Canada. Some of you are in the United States. And some of you are elsewhere in the world where different names can come up during the diagnosis process. Here, they've gotten rid of all different names other than FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And it can either be with sentinel features or without sentinel features. And that just means facial features. But some other common names that you might hear around that basically mean the same thing is ARBD, which is alcohol-related birth defects. ARND, alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder, FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome, FAE, fetal alcohol effects, PFAS, partial fetal alcohol syndrome, and complex developmental disorder. Now, they may all differ with where your child is on the spectrum with all of those different names, but they basically all mean the same thing, that somewhere along the line, someone who was pregnant drank alcohol and the child has some sort of effect because of it. Now, in Canada, you have to have proof that the birth mother or whoever it was that was pregnant drank alcohol in order to get an FASD diagnosis. So when that's not possible, but all symptoms point towards a child having FASD, they get something called complex developmental disorder. Now, while it may not sound the same, it does basically mean the same thing. You still want to treat the child the same, and you're going to get a lot of the same supports, at least here in Canada. You're still going to get an IEP. You're still going to get uh, an EA, uh, a lot of different supports in the school system, disability through the government, that sort of thing. So the names are all different, but we're all going to be talking about the same thing today. So what is it? FASD refers to a constellation of physical and mental birth defects that may develop in individuals whose mothers consumed alcohol during pregnancy. It's really important to know because there's so much poor information out there that this can happen from as little as one drink. And it can happen at any time during the pregnancy. The brain is growing throughout the whole pregnancy of a baby, and any amount of alcohol can affect it. So a lot of people don't even know they're pregnant for the first two months. Yet on day six, there are massive, massive changes happening in the brain development. On week six, there are even more changes happening. If someone drinks alcohol on those two particular days, then you can see some of the effects later on. Throughout the rest of the pregnancy, these effects are also happening. So you really want to be careful that you're not 
drinking when you're pregnant, despite what a doctor or a midwife might say, because all current research shows that it can affect the child. And some people out there still want to say, well, I know so-and-so, they drink and their child is fine. Well, there's a few things to consider. Uh, One, ADHD is often commonly misdiagnosed when the child actually has FASD. Two, the parent might not be open about the fact that they drank and some of the challenges they're having with their kids. So they may actually have some level of FASD and they just don't know it. They have to be quite a bit older to get diagnosed. It's not something you diagnose at birth, at least here in Canada, that's how we do it. So if they've just had a baby or the child's under the age of five, sometimes even under the age of nine, they may not be aware of it yet. And then the final one, which is the most confusing is that it can come down to your metabolism and some other factors. So it's true. There are the odd people who do drink during pregnancy and their child is not affected and we just can't figure out why. So don't let that mean that it doesn't affect anything. So just a cautionary tale to be careful. Uh, It is an organic brain disorder and it's characterized by central nervous system involvement, growth retardation, and characteristic facial features. But I will note that not all kids have facial features who have FASD. Now, the facial features are pretty common out there. You can recognize them once you know what you're looking for. One of the most common is the smooth philtrum, and that's right above your upper lip. There's two little lines. If you feel right now right above your upper lip, there's two little lines. You can feel that little divot. And when a child has FASD, they often have a smooth philtrum. So that just means it's flat. The upper lip might be a bit thinner, and it can be to varying degrees. Some kids have it extremely fat with no lines. Some people have mild lines. They also can have different characteristics around their face, which is obviously very hard to portray over a podcast, but it can affect their eye folds, um, their nose, sometimes something we call railroad ears, which is the little, uh, the lines at the very top of your ear are parallel to each other. So these are some of the facial features you can get. Now this happens if alcohol was consumed during the phase of pregnancy where their face was being developed. So if alcohol came at a different time or not at exactly that time when the face was being developed, those facial features might not be there, but some of the behavioral symptoms could be, and vice versa. Some kids might have the facial features, but not the same level of behavioral challenges. So that's why it's a spectrum and so many kids differ in so many ways. Another thing I want to point out is that their brain's do differ with FASD. Now, if you could do a scan to actually see what they look like, there are some very significant differences. Sometimes they are smaller when you have a child with FASD, which is why they often have smaller heads. This isn't the case with everyone, but it is common. The brain matter within can look quite different. And the corpus callosum is this thing that almost looks like if you were looking at the side of a brain, like cut your head in half, (laughs) look inside from the half view. Corpus callosum is the piece that connects the left brain to the right brain, and it's this thing that kind of reminds me, it looks like a chicken bone to me, but it connects the left side, which is rules and logic, to the right side of the brain, which is impulse control and feelings. And when you have FASD, that is often very affected. It looks mushed. It can be non-existent. And again, it depends on when the alcohol was consumed. But that is one of the biggest challenges with FASD because so many people who meet kids with FASD say, oh, they know that what they're doing is wrong. They know that what the rules are. They know they shouldn't be doing that. And you know what? They very well could. They might know not to hit. They might know not to swear. They might know not to do some of these things. But the problem is, is that message is coming into their brain 
they know they shouldn't do something, but it's not getting to the other side of the brain where they actually control their motions or their words or their bodies. So they might know deep within, I shouldn't hit this person, but they hit anyways. Or they might know not to say something inappropriate, but they might say it anyways. And that's the the disability there is knowing but not being able to carry out something despite what you know. Now, some kids have lower cognitive function, so they might not even know in the first place. That's why you really need to approach them, not from a disciplinary or angry way, but just understanding that this is beyond their ability with so many of the things that they struggle with. It really affects their executive functioning, impulse control, judgment. They always say kids with FASD don't understand cause and effect, which makes sense now that we know what it does to the corpus callosum. You know, they do something and they don't understand if I do this, I'm going to get in trouble. If I do this, it's going to hurt their feelings. Or if I do this, this could result in danger or accident or injury or something along those lines. It can also affect their coordination, movement, their memory, behaviors. They have a hard time switching modes, having perception of time. It affects their hippocampus, their learning and memory, the hypothalamus, which controls appetite, emotions, temperature, and pain sensation, which we'll talk a little bit about later, how it affects just all those sensory needs in your body. So I just want to end with saying, talking about what it all is, is that not all children with FASD are alike. While some display more of the reasoning and behavioral problems, and others might display more physical features. Each child will have individual needs and may display varying degrees of symptoms. So that's really important to remember. Some of the forms in the home study give you the option of choosing limited alcohol exposure or prolonged alcohol exposure, and they really should change that because it doesn't matter. Whether someone drinks their entire pregnancy or whether someone drinks just a few drinks, each child can be affected differently. It can affect their brain differently, their behavior, their physical features. There's no way to know. So if you're open to alcohol, then you should just pick both. But if you're only open to a few things, then you might want to reconsider whether you're open to FASD at all because there is no way to know for sure. So some of the symptoms that you're going to see with kids with FASD are disabilities, which can include academic, ADHD, a very common co-occurring disorder, Um, and it can be with or without hyperactivity. A lot of kids with FASD have speech and language disorders, information processing deficits, pattern problems. They often have a lack of safety understanding. They're not able to understand cause and effect, poor impulse control, inability to relate behavior to consequences, no sense of connection to societal rules, poor short-term memory, inconsistent knowledge base. That's a really hard one and gets kids into trouble a lot. They might know what two times two is one day, and the next day they might not know it at all. They might know their letters and numbers one day, and the next day only know half of them. It's a really challenging piece for them, and we have to remember that that happens to them. They have poor personal boundaries, which is something we need to keep in mind, particularly as they get older and teenagers. They don't understand safety with strangers, and it's going to affect them in relationships too. They can have confusion under pressure difficulty grasping abstract concepts, the inability to manage their anger or others, poor judgment, tendency to be stubborn, Uh, they can over or underreact to pain, cold or touch, have trouble sleeping, have trouble playing with others and maintaining friends, have no fear of danger, that one is very stressful, the inability to learn from their mistakes, they can be clumsy and rough, sensitive to light, often prefer to play with children who are younger and overly friendly with strangers. Now those are just some of the symptoms that you're going to see with FASD. 
on paper, that sounds pretty scary. That's a huge list that I just gave, and that is not everything. There's a lot more things out there that can affect them. There's a lot of mental health challenges that often go along with FASD. So what does that look like? What does it look like bringing a child into your home that has FASD? Because it can be a bit scary. How is it going to affect them? How is it going to affect you as a parent? How is it going to affect other children in your home if you already have other children? You want to consider all of these things. So I'm going to start with talking a little bit about what our day looks like. Now, I've got kids everywhere on the spectrum. I've got kids who are higher on the spectrum and have more difficulties with their behaviors. I have some that are lower on the spectrum, some that have facial features that are more prominent, and some that don't. And I have one child who was exposed prenatally that has no special needs, so there's just no way to know for sure how that's going to play out. So usually we start each day in the morning very early. They wake up often around 5 a.m., which is so lovely. (laughs) Actually, thankfully, I have a husband who's a morning person because I am not a morning person. So he does get up with them. Now, since, as I mentioned, ADHD is often common with kids with FASD, most of them do have it. And before we were ever introduced to ADHD meds, our lives were insane. Now, that's going to be a whole other episode I talk about ADHD meds because before that, we had kids getting kicked out of school. We were ready to lose our mind. It was bananas. But then we discovered ADHD meds because we were so scared and had all these myths in our head about what medication was like. So now we know and our life is much more normal now. (laughs) For anyone who's scared, (laughs) take the plunge, but we'll talk about that another day. So they need to get their medication, about three of them, in order for them to even function. Now, more of them take medication, but three of them can't function without it. So they get it. They wake up, they get their pills, and then they go somewhere quiet on their own. Now, I have multiple kids, so it's going to be different whether you have one kid or multiple kids, but they can't be near each other because when they haven't been medicated yet and their brain hasn't been able to start working properly, then they're probably just going to kill each other and nobody wants that. So one of them might go in their room and read a book. One of them might go in the basement, the teenager. Um, One of them might be in the living room. Maybe one of them's up in their bedroom. They just go somewhere and do a quiet activity, and it takes about 45 minutes for the medication to set in. Now, this doesn't, there's no medication that will cure FASD. This isn't going to help the symptoms of FASD or anything like that. But the ADHD and FASD are so closely related that what it does is just really calms down some of those symptoms that overlap between the two and helps them function throughout the day. So by about 6:30, All the kids have calmed down. Everyone's awake by now, other than maybe my oldest teenager who you have to drag out of bed, (laughs) and everyone's calmed down. The morning is not too bad. Now, previous, before we learned how to do this whole everyone in their own space, medication first, it was a little bit crazy. So if you haven't figured that out, figure out a routine that works for you. Otherwise, you might have kids attacking each other. It's like World War III, wrestling matches, maybe it's fight club, whatever you think might be going on could very well happen if you don't figure out a good system and really change your expectations. So once all the kids have calmed down, we get them dressed do the normal routine that anyone does, getting ready for breakfast, getting their school backpacks ready, that sort of thing. But something that you have to remember is a lot of them have challenges around things like memory or doing more than one step at a time. So when we're getting ready, I can't call down to one of my kids and say, hey, Kay, can you go get your backpack, your socks on, your teeth brush, and then wait at the front door? He would get lost as soon as I said, hey. So I need to do it in short steps. I need him to be able to do it 
on his own, or I need to be able to support him if he's not quite ready, which is is very common for kids. Uh, K is six, and he can do things on his own, no problem. But if I gave him all those steps, it would make it very challenging for him. So the first thing I would say is, hey, Kay, come here, please. Then when he's in front of me, can see me, and I only give him one step, I say, hey, let's brush our teeth together. And then he's able to do that on his own. He can follow the steps to brush his teeth. Now, some kids can get so distracted by even something as simple as the bathroom mirror. So sometimes people have, I've known, have covered it up with a piece of cardboard or something in front so they don't get too distracted. My kids, thankfully, can get through the teeth brushing. Then you're going to do the next step. Hey, Kay, can you go get your backpack, please? Now, not go get your backpack, put all your library books in it. Again, that's too many steps, but we just want to do one step. My other kids might not have any memory that, oh yeah, I was supposed to be getting dressed. So meanwhile, on the other side of the house, I might be having another kid who was supposed to be getting dressed, but because their memory uh, doesn't function quite as well as a neurotypical child, they've already forgotten what they're doing. So often we walk to the other side of the house and find kids sitting in their underwear on the floor, staring at the ceiling, or maybe they've been distracted now and are playing with toys or watching a show or doing who knows what. So our morning usually consists of running around the house in circles and getting everyone to do each of their steps and their next step and their next step because they've all forgotten what they're doing or they aren't quite sure what needs to come next or they've been distracted. So it can be a little bit challenging. Uh, thankfully, I've got some older kids that are able to help out. Uh, as as you'll find out in one of my next episodes, they don't parent by any means, but they're really great helpers. Um, and and they have FASD themselves, and they're still such great helpers. Reminding a kid to oh, don't forget to brush your teeth or don't forget to put on your socks. It does require sometimes a little more hands-on support. Maybe putting the socks on for them rather than doing it themselves. Maybe they're not able to pack their lunch on their own, so you put the lunch in the backpack for them. I can't tell you how many times we've gotten into the car and gotten all the way to the school only to discover that someone who was supposed to have grabbed their backpack didn't grab it. Now, that's common of a lot of people, but it happens quite a bit here because they just couldn't remember that command, go get your backpack or go bring your backpack. So then school, they're gone. For those kids that are home, um, they can sometimes have challenges with keeping their hands to themselves. If people come over, they don't understand the boundaries. Sometimes they'll try and sit on other people, sit really close to them, put their face really close to them. That's very common for them. Throughout the day, we often have supports in place for some of the younger kids before they get to school. So we have child development workers come over. We might be at the pediatrician every couple of weeks or every couple of months. I go quite a bit more often because I've got so many kids but just following along on the medication and how they're doing. Uh, You might have a behavioral consultant involved, so they might be there. We're going to have one in one of our interviews talking about how they help kids with FASD or other kids with other diagnoses. They're honestly amazing. So they might be coming to your house and helping with things. You might be going to a speech and language pathologist. Speech therapy is very common with kids with FASD. Once they hit school, some of these supports are then moved to the school. Some of them have to be moved after school. And then they might have other activities going on. So whether it be equine therapy, which we've just started with one of our kids and is going amazing, or maybe it's just a sport or a dance, which they can do. Maybe they're in an after-school club at school. And then we get home. Now, something to remember is that they've had their medication, but ADHD medication doesn't stay in your system the whole time. So by the time they get home, it is starting to wear off and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't give them more medication because it's going to keep them awake and then they're not going to sleep and nobody wants that. So there's this fine balance between finding something that works to keep them at their best ability throughout most of the day, but then not staying up all night. So 
after school is always a little bit hairy. They come home like a tornado, (laughs) burst in the door. They're all a jumble of talking, what's going on in their day, how things have gone. And then often this is when a little bit of fighting happens. So we kind of sort through that and move on. And then it's not too long before we hit dinner. Now, dinner is an interesting one. I haven't talked about it yet, but a lot of our kids have sensory needs. And I think one of the hardest things to get past with FASD is that it really is a different type of parenting, which I'm going to talk about for another another episode of the podcast on a different type of parenting. But you have to let go of some of your expectations. And this is honestly one of the hardest things to do. Most of us, when we grew up, thought of what type of parents we'd be. I mean, I always thought I was going to be the cool parent. Apparently my flossing isn't that great though, so I don't think I've reached that level yet. You know, we, we thought, I'm never going to do that, or I'm going to be such a kind parent. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to do this. We're going to have family dinners. We're going to go on trips together. You know, we have this idea in our mind of what a perfect family looks like and what we're going to strive for. But with special needs, you take that thought of what you think parenting is going to be like, what you think family life is going to be. You rip it up into a million shreds, stomp on it, and flush it down the toilet because that's not what life is going to be like at all. Now, not to say that it's not still amazing because it is. I love my life and it's, I couldn't ask for a better life. However, it's very different and I need to let go of my expectations in order to not get caught up in that. Or I'm going to feel frustrated. I'm going to feel like a failure. I'm going to feel like nothing is going right. Like I'm not cut out for this if I can't let go of those expectations. So one of those is around dinner time. In my head, I just imagined our whole family sitting at the dinner table talking about how our day went, everyone chatting and smiling and eating nicely. That is not what our dinner looks like. And we basically never invite anyone over for meals because of what our dinner actually looks like. So here's what it actually looks like. And again, keep in mind, I have lots of kids and lots of them have FASD. It might not be to this level if you only have one or two. However, if you've seen the movie Instant Family, there's a scene quite early on where there's a fire involved. She has a knife in her hand. She's screaming. Ketchup is being squirted everywhere. Some people were like, oh, is that really real? I'm telling you, yes, it is. (laughs) And they only had three kids. So it can still be pretty crazy even with only a few kids who might be affected by FASD, but throw in a few more and it's definitely a lot more crazy. So what actually happens is we have a lot of screaming and swearing and throwing food. There's often more food on the floor than there is anywhere else. People are upset about what food is being offered. Um, People are getting overstimulated. For the longest time, we were having kids just getting escalated, running through the house, throwing dishes, breaking things, kicking holes in the wall. So we had to talk to our behavioral consultant about how on earth do we move forward with this? So we've now figured out that two of our kids can't manage eating at the same time as everyone else, or or at least not in the same room. So as much as this seems like terrible parenting, it is not. One of our kids eats downstairs and one of our kids eats in the living room so that they're in their own quiet space. It seems messed up. It doesn't seem like it's great parenting. Why are they not eating with the rest of the family? But those two kids have such delicate, sensitive sensory needs that they were not able to manage in the room with everyone else. Now there's the odd time they might be able to join us, 
but they usually can't. And it's not their own fault. It's not that they don't want to. It's not that they're trying to be spoiled or get away with something. It's just that their brain isn't able to cope with all of the input that's coming in. There's different food textures. There's different people talking. There's the sound of cooking or pouring or cutting. There's kids getting upset about what they don't want to eat, and that's just too much for them to manage. So for us, our dinner looks a little bit different. We also have a lot of sensory needs about what food is actually like. For example, one of my kids, if I were to hand him, let's say, a fajita and we've rolled it wrong, it will result in the plate being thrown back to us. Uh, If we've given the wrong color plate, which is common for toddlers to do this, my older kids may also throw the plate. So we try to do more plastic dishes to prevent broken things. But unfortunately, one of my kids, one of their specifications is a particular glass plate that they want. So that does make it a little bit trickier. They also don't like certain textures. They don't like it if the food is not at the exact right temperature. These are all very common, and this can be with FASD or autism. Some of those symptoms really do overlap. So dinner time is always a little bit interesting, which is why we don't get invited to a lot of people's houses, and we really don't invite people over to our house for dinner because it's just a very challenging time for our family. So that's something to consider, that meal times are often a lot harder to do. So think of how that's going to affect things like family get-togethers, birthdays. It's not to say that you can't do them because we do still do them, but maybe you can't do it the same way. Maybe you need to talk to your family members ahead of time that, hey, when we come over, just so you know, one of our kids is going to eat in another room or at a different time. Maybe they're going to eat a little bit sooner before everyone else sits down, or maybe they're going to wait till everyone leaves the table and then go sit at the table. And you just have to have that understanding of what it's going to look like. So once dinner is done, everyone is pretty wired and excited and they will do some sort of activity with each other. And then we're getting to bedtime routine. We have a lot of kids, so the bedtime routine can take uh, quite a bit of time and a lot of them have a hard time falling asleep on their own. Some of them have to take medication to help fall asleep because their brains just need that extra little bit of support in calming down. They've had, you know, ADHD medications, which can keep them up a bit later. And they also have very, very, very active brains. So this medication, which again, a lot of people just get so worried about, just helps their brain calm down enough for them to go to sleep because sleep is so important. If they don't get enough sleep, they're not going to be able to function. They're not going to be able to have a good time. They're not going to be able to learn. And they're going to be extra sensitive to so many things. So it's so important that we get them able to sleep. So we have to start our routine of getting everyone to bed. And because so many of them require that extra support to fall asleep, they're not maybe able to just fall asleep where you say, okay, you're good time for bed, go lay down in your room. You tuck them in and walk away. They might require that extra sleep of snuggling with them. Maybe they need a back tickle. Maybe they need a story or maybe you need to stay with them while they fall asleep or until they're asleep. So we have a bedtime routine starts around 6.30 with our youngest and we cycle through all of them all the way until about 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) Takes quite a bit of time as we go from kid to kid to kid to kid. We really want to make sure that they each get their one-on-one time, time to talk about their day and time to just be close to their mom and dad, that sort of thing. So we work through it all and finally get them into bed. Then and this is not related to FASD, this is just kid-related, they start cycling out of bed. Oh, I need water. Oh, I need this. Oh, I need that. They come back out. Yeah. And then finally, they're all asleep. Now, it is common for kids with FASD wake up in the middle of the night, so that can happen. Or if you're lucky, they sleep through the night. For the most part, all of our kids sleep through the night, which is very lovely considering we've had babies for like 14 years. And that's what a typical day in our family looks like. 
Now that's provided nothing crazy goes on or nothing escalates someone or overstimulates them too much to the point of no return. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about that because that can happen too. So kids with FASD can have meltdowns, they can get triggered, and things can go horribly awry. So when things like that happen, we might have a child who really wanted to play with one of their siblings. The sibling said, no, you were in another room, weren't able to kind of help maneuver that relationship there. And now one of them is very upset. This can go a few ways. They could punch their sibling and run away. They could maybe take one of their favorite possessions and rip it up to shreds or stomp on it or throw it or destroy it somehow. Often, many of our kids run up to their room and kick holes in the wall to let out their anger there. Um, Maybe they're going to swear at you. This is unfortunately a very common one. They're just not able to control their words. So they might start saying really horrible things. They might call you all the names under the book. They might call you... um, derogatory things like you're fat, you're mean, you're evil, uh, anything you can think of. Now, these are not things we use in our family. We don't swear in our family. We don't teach them these negative words, but they somehow pick them up, whether it be at school or people they meet, older siblings who then learned it at school when they were older, that sort of thing. So they figure these things out and they do use them. Again, this doesn't exactly fit into that perfect family picture that many of you might have. So you're going to have to learn to let go of some of it, but it's so common. And you're also going to have to let go of some of those things that they teach you in adoption and foster care where they say, you're not my real mom or you're not my real dad. This is said lots amongst all sorts of other crazy things, but I personally am not affected by it at all because I know that it's beyond their control and that they don't mean it. And this is just one of their symptoms of FASD. So I don't respond. I'm totally fine with it. But if you don't know that or you're not used to it yet, it can take a little bit to get used to this. Okay, this is just something that they aren't in control of right now, so I need to just ignore it. But it's very challenging if you have other kids in the home. For example, my oldest, who doesn't have special needs, often struggles with understanding why their siblings don't get in trouble for these behaviors. Because my 13-year-old, who swears a lot, is not going to get a punishment for swearing because we know it's not in his control. What we instead do is we focus on redirecting. We focus on getting him involved in something else at that moment. Now, do we still have a talk each time about swearing is not accepted? Yes. Do we sometimes take away something? Like if you're swearing a lot, maybe you're not going to have video games today. Yes, that does still happen. We still try to teach them that consequences do happen, but not in an angry way, not in a way like... Anytime you do this, this is getting taken away because it's their disability and then they would literally never have the opportunity to do things. But then if my oldest who is in control of himself does something and does get some sort of consequence, it's very hard for them to understand, well, why am I getting a consequence for this behavior? But my sibling is not getting a consequence or not getting in trouble for that exact same behavior. That's something you need to walk them through. So for my oldest, I've actually shown him videos about FASD. We've talked a lot about it and really try to educate him on how the brain works and what's going on. Now, he's still a kid, so he's not going to understand it the way a parent is or an adult is, but it's still going to give him some sort of tools to understand a little bit better than the average person and some words and ways to communicate. But because it's so hard, you want to give them the space to be upset about it because you know what? They have a right to be upset about it. It is hard. It's hard to see that your sibling isn't having a consequence for doing something and yet you might be for the same thing or why they swear all the time when you know, hey, that's not okay because we all know that. If I could wave a magic wand, I would definitely take swearing out of our family's life. 
I am not a swearer at all, other than maybe when I'm driving on my own. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> um, and a little bit when I worked for the ministry, because holy cow, people swear a lot at the ministry, and you got a little bit used to it. But I don't swear in front of my kids. I don't swear in our family. So when our kids swear, it can be really jarring. It's not what I pictured parenting to be like. Kids are going to have a hard time with that as well. So we just need to be open and honest about it and communicate with them as much as possible so they understand what that's like. We also have to let go of what our house might look like. Um, if they're kicking holes in it or coloring on walls because they don't understand the rule that we don't color on walls. And again, I know lots of kids do this, but when they're you know getting a bit older and you expect these things to fade away, they might still be doing it. So these are all things you want to remember in the day of a life with FASD that there's going to be challenges. And there's also going to be a lot of great times. Our kids play together. They have fun. They like to snuggle. Some other great things, they love to do crafts. Um, my daughter does puzzles for hours. She just loves spending time on figuring them out. You can go to the park. You can ride bikes. There's so many amazing opportunities throughout the day to have with your kids. So even though some things might be a bit trickier and a little bit more challenging, there's still going to be so many opportunities for regular family living, for regular fun things. Yes, you're going to have to incorporate therapy into your day a bit more than the average person. You're going to get worn out and you're going to have to remind yourself over and over and over again that this isn't typical parenting. You don't have a neurotypical child. Everyone is neurodiverse when they've got FASD and they've got different abilities. Sometimes we call it special needs. Sometimes we call it invisible disabilities, which we're going to talk about in a later episode. And you just have to remember that because otherwise it's so easy to fall into that trap of feeling like you're not good enough, like you're not parenting properly, or like there's just something you need to fix. We don't want to change our kids with FASD. We just want to support them and give them all the opportunities and the ability to do the best that they can. And that's what we're here for. So thank you for tuning in today and talking about FASD and what it's like. Hopefully we've answered some of your questions of what it looks like. Everyone is different. You know, I encourage you to talk to other people who have maybe adopted with kids with FASD or foster parents who have walked through that journey. If you have questions, write into us and we can do another episode to answer some of those questions. We'd be happy to do that because this was just one little tiny episode and I certainly haven't covered it all. Any other questions, send them our way. You can go to info at mylovelycrazylife.com with any questions. Other than that, tune in next time for our next show. Thanks so much and I hope this was helpful today. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast this week. Be sure to tune in next week for more exciting episodes and learn more on adoption, foster care, and special needs. And be sure to check us out on social media, Instagram, My Lovely Crazy Life AP, and our website, mylovelycrazylife.com. And please share and help us spread the word of our new podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to chatting with you next week.